Okay, if you would take your Bible this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 37. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to start in verse 3 and read down through verse 11. Genesis 37 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was a son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. His brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? They hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it to his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And tonight, the title of the message is Envy, the Destroyer of Life. Envy, the Destroyer of Life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you that we have a written record of real people living real lives with problems, with trials, with tests, with difficult situations they face, sometimes cataclysmic events. And Father, some we have instruction, some who failed to follow your will, and others who were faithful. And Father, we see you conceive from your word the reward, how each is rewarded according to their works. And so Lord as we pray, we look into the Word of God tonight and consider the subject of envy in the life of Joseph's brethren. We pray that you would challenge us, encourage us, and help us to not succumb to the temptations of the world. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever envious? Don't answer. Do you ever say, must be nice? Now I'm getting a little closer home, right? You know, that, at least that is jealousy. Envy is a little stronger than jealousy. Even Asaph in Psalm, 53, or Psalm 73 said, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I was, I was envious of the foolish. You know, Proverbs twenty three seventeen says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Your envy is jealous anger. It's jealous anger. Acts 7, 9, in his testimony, Stephen said to the Pharisees, and the patriarchs moved with envy. This is why they sold Joseph into Egypt. They moved with envy 
I mean, this the idea here of move with envy, that's one Greek word, and it means to be heated or to boil with envy, anger, hatred. That was them. So they moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with them. See, envy will sever relationships, even strong ones. It may be the success or likeness of one envied by another. It is jealousy that festers like a boiling till it boils over. That's envy. And I want to know several things about envy tonight. First of all, it will cloud your reasoning and cause you to make wicked choices. In Genesis 37 here, in verses 18 through 20, the Bible says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, of course, this is talking about Joseph. Joseph has been sent out by Jacob, his father, to see how his brethren are doing with caring for the sheep. And so when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Their evil intentions. You know, of course, verse 9 says that, that, that he dreamed. I'm not sure why I have verse 9 there. Um, verse 11 says, And his brethren envied him. His father observed her saying, But... But we see here, you know, this, this reveals their evil intentions. And their evil intentions was to get rid of him, to put him to death. This is the fruit of envy in their hearts. It's fruit of envy. It clouded the reason. He, he's their brother. And yet they want to kill him because they're envious. Proverbs 3.31 says, Envy thou not the oppressor. And choose none of his ways. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. You think of something that's rotting, it's decaying, it stinks, it's dying. That's what envy will do to you. Job verse, chapter 5 verse 2 says, For wrath killeth the foolish man, and envy slayeth the silly one. We know, and according to Mark 15.10, that the Pharisees delivered up Jesus for envy. They were envious of him. Yeah, and that's what, that's what uh, Pilate said of him. He knew they had delivered him up because for envy. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel, angry is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Who's able to stand? It will cause you to fall. Envy. So to cloud your reasoning, it, it, it reveals your evil intentions. The second thing we see here is the, the compromise of Reuben with the wicked. And again, this is, this, is a, this is a clouded judgment. If you notice in verses 21 through 24, it says, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. 
And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. Behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going down to carry it down into Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not be our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Now, to some thinking, what Reuben says here may sound commendable. But is it really? You know, Reuben could have rose up, simply rose up and said, look, this is wrong. This is just downright wrong. We can't do this. You see, Reuben wanted to be merciful to Joseph, but he also wanted to please his brethren. In this situation, you can't do both. You can't do both. Jesus said you can't, you know, you can't have a house divided against yourself. You can't love God and mammon. You're going to love one and hate the other. That's just the way it is. And, you know, he wanted to please his brothers who hated Joseph. And this failure to do right thing meant that the good Reuben wanted to do, it didn't come to pass. You know, he could have said, I will not, this is what he should have said, I will not go along with this. I will not cover for your sin and your wickedness against innocent life. You know, he could have further said, do you want to, to have to bear in your conscience your sin before God? And think about what your father is going to do to your father. You know, he should have said, here I stand, I will not go along with it. That's what he should have said. But he wants to stand in the middle of something that's so evil. Murder. That is their intentions. If you notice in verse 26, Judah said unto his brother, what profit is if we slay our brother? Their profit was to kill him. So, again, his, judge, his, his judgment is clouded because he's envious also. You know, this is, a, this is a time where Reuben should have stood against the nine, the other nine. You know, I say nine. There's 12 brethren, Joseph, Benjamin, those two are at, and then you had Reuben that leaves nine against him. And so he had to stand one against nine, but he should have stood. And so your envy will cloud your reasoning and cause you to make wicked choices. Secondly, it will result or cause you to live in fear. Go over to chapter 42. Now we're going to fast forward 20 years. Joseph was in Egypt 13 years before he became second in command to Pharaoh. We know that the, the, the dream of Pharaoh, there was going to be seven good years and then seven years of famine. So 13 and 7 and when I went to school was 20. Now, they could have been a couple years even into the famine. So you're, you know, it's possible it could have been 22 years from the time that they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. And here they are in chapter 42, and they're still in fear. Look at chapter 42 and verse 2. And he said, Behold, I have heard there is corn in Egypt. Get ye down thither, this is Jacob, of course, buy from us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob, sent not with his brethren, 
For he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. He's fearful of losing Benjamin. After all, he lost his brother. So there's fear here. Uh, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine, was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he, he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not, not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land are ye come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. He said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land are you come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man, the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, this, that is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come to me. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. He put them in all together into war three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your brother's youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall die, not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of a soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And so... You know, they're living in fear. Uh, if you look at, drop down to verse 27. It says, And as one of them opened his sack to give his ass provender in the way, in the inn, he espied his money, for behold, it was in his sack's mouth. He said unto his brother, My money is restored, and lo, it is even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God hath done unto us? And they came unto Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him that befell them unto them, saying, The man who is the lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that you are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and you shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. They were afraid. Chapter 43, verse 18. They go back down. You know, they're, they're, they're going back down. And it says this, And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondmen and for our asses. Chapter 45, in verse 3, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled. And that word troubled there means terrified. They were terrified at his presence. 
Again, it's been 20 years since they sold him into slavery. And they're afraid. And if you go to chapter 50, and this is another 30 years. Add to the 20 years. Another 30 years. Jacob's been in Egypt this long. And in chapter 50, and, and verse 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly acquite us all the evil which he did unto him, we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, say, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, now thy trespass of thy brother and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am I in the place of God but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So 40 years later, they're still afraid. They're still living in fear. All the result of their envy, the fruit of their envy, You know, in First Samuel eighteen, or First Samuel, yeah, First Samuel eighteen. Uh, you know, Saul, he becomes fearful. Why? Because he's jealous of David, and his jealousy turns to envy. He becomes angry and vengeful against David, who is his servant, his choice servant. In uh, in First Samuel eight uh, eighteen, I'm in Second Samuel. First Samuel eighteen, and. Verse 8, 1 Samuel 18 and verse 8, the Bible says, And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They ascribed unto David ten thousands, to me they have ascribed but thousands. What can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of his house. David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. See, Saul became envious. It wasn't just a little bit of jealousy. There was anger along with it had boiled over. And with that, he became fearful. He became not only fearful of David, he became fearful of the Philistines, of all the enemies. And we're going to see, you can see that if you read on toward the end of the book of uh, 1 Samuel. You know, he, he becomes very fearful of the Philistines. And God refuses to answer him. Your know, Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, you ever wonder why Joab ran, ran and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar at the tabernacle when he heard that Adonijah had been put to death by Solomon? Because he was guilty. He was fearful because he had shed the blood of two innocent men and he had helped Adonijah in his trying to take over the kingdom 
prior to Solomon being enthroned by David, his father. He knew. He was fearful for his own life. That's why he, he ran and, put a, put his, and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar, thinking maybe he could be safe there. But Solomon sent, sent Benaniah, that faithful servant of his, and said, slay him there. Take away the, blood, the, the innocent blood from the house of David. And so, you know, envy or sin period will cause you to live in fear. Thirdly, envy is an attitude of self-preservation. Go back to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37. Look at verse 18. Well, let's go back up to uh, verse 10. Says, and he told it to his father, that is his dream, to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying, verse 18, When they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. You see, they were envious because of. Partly in part, you know, maybe partly because he was favored by his father and, and over them. But obviously the, the point here is made that they hate him because of his dreams. And his dreams are such that he's going to be exalted over them. That he's going to be exalted over them. So he was a threat to their own preservation of equality in the family. They considered him a threat. Again, Mark 15.10. Was this not the problem with the Pharisees? As Pilate said, he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. And in John 11.48, it was Caiaphas that said, If we let him thus alone, that if we let Jesus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. You know what they were concerned about? They were concerned about themselves. They were concerned about themselves. So their idea was, look, to preserve our, ourselves and the nation, we need to get rid of him. We need to get rid of him. You see more examples of it in the New Testament. Acts 13, 45. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. This is, of course, in Paul's ministry. They were filled with envy and spake against those things which are spoken by Paul, contradicting and blasting. Blaspheming. So, so when they saw the multitudes, the Gentiles, the multitudes coming and listening to Paul's preaching, they were filled with envy. Uh, again, we're going to lose our influence. In chapter 17, verse 5 says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took on them certain lewd fellows of the base sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason. This was at Corinth. To bring them out unto the people. And then when Paul's arrested, and of course, eventually Paul's arrested in Jerusalem, and this is what they said, Acts 21, 28. This is what he said about it. Crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. See, what are they concerned about? Their law and this place. 
the preservation of themselves and their religious order. See, they considered Paul a threat. Do you ever wonder why communism hates Christianity so much? Because it's a threat. They admit it. It's a threat. Because Christianity, maybe this ain't the right word, foments liberty. The, the result of Christianity, wherever Christianity goes, people seek liberty. Because they, under, they come to understand that all men are created equal and have certain inalienable rights. Now, when you talk about inalienable rights, we're not talking about rights that the government gives you. We're talking about rights that are ours, given to us by the Creator. Therefore, there's an authority higher than the government. That is a threat to communism, a serious threat. That's why we see the encroachment upon Bible-believing Christianity in our country as well. Because we're a threat. You go clear back to the Bill Clinton era and his impeachment. And then the, the left were saying that Bill, Bill Clinton, and I read this, that Bill Clinton was a victim of the religious right. Nothing about the fact that he's as guilty as sin. No, he was just a victim of the religious right. And this is what was happening here in the nation of Israel. They said, hey, look, he's a threat to the, our law in this place. And, and they accused him of bringing Greeks into the temple, including the holy place, which was a lie. See, envy, the fruit of envy, envy is an attitude of self-preservation. Then I'll notice the fourth thing. Envy's, envy's fruit will haunt you with a guilty conscience. Again, chapter 42 and verse 21. Chapter 42 and verse 21. It says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Why are they saying that? Why are they bringing that up? They don't know who he is. They don't know he's Joseph. So why are they bringing that up? Because it's on their conscience. From 20 years ago. It's on their conscience. Verse 22. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and you would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Chapter 44, verse 15 and 16. Chapter 44, 15 and 16. Uh, yeah, 44, 15 and 16. It says, Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. You know, Numbers 32, 23, in number, the book of Numbers in chapter 32 uh, Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, uh, Dan, and Reuben, tribes of Dan and Reuben, asked for the land east of Jordan. And Moses reminds them of the responsibility to go in the land and drive out and help your brother and drive out all the Canaanites. You need to cross Jordan. 
And that's God commanded you across Jordan. But he said, if you don't, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, there's, there's guilt that goes along. Matthew 27, 3 and 4 and 5, it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, brought again a thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? Seed out of that. Cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Somebody has said, you know, again, the world doesn't care if you have a guilty conscience. The world doesn't care. But Jesus does. You know, Peter had a guilty conscience. He denied the Lord three times. But the Lord restored Peter because Peter was willing to be restored. Somebody said sin has a face, but no body. It can't kill it, eradicate it. It haunts like a ghost, a guilty conscience. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. We do reap what we sow. And these brethren are reaping the fruits of their envy. Forty years of a guilty conscience. That's a long time. Forty years to live with the guilt. But then lastly, the remedy. The remedy is simple. Repent. Repent. Look at chapter 43 and verses 8 and 9. And Judah said unto Israel, his father. So they've gone down to Egypt. They've come back. Simeon has been bound and kept in Egypt by Joseph. And he says, don't you come again without Benjamin. If you don't bring Benjamin, don't bother coming. Of course, Joseph, or Jacob, their father, balked at that for, for a period of time. However, he says, look, you need to get out and get some more. He said, they say, well, we can't go unless Benjamin goes with us. So, so this is Judah's response to what Jacob says. Judah said unto Israel's father, send the lad with me. We will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and our, also our little ones. I will be surety for him. That's very significant. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, let me bear the blame forever. He said, I will be surety for him. That word surety means to give give a pledge or exchange. It really, he's making himself responsible for Benjamin. He's making himself responsible. In other words, it's like, you know, we say, we, you know, one of the things that, that you know, we, you've, I'm sure you've heard about is co-signing for somebody on loan. That's, that's being surety. It's not recommended in the scriptures. You know, if you can't, if you can't borrow money, then you, you ought not, if you can't afford to borrow money, you shouldn't borrow it. Um, but anyway, if you co-sign for somebody, what that means is if they do not pay, you are responsible. You're going to bear the bill. 
You're going to be responsible. So what Judah is saying is, if need be, I will give my life for Benjamin. I'll give my life. You know, this is the man who said, let's sell him. Let's slay our brother. You see, so with these words, Judah insisted that his brothers would stick by Benjamin, though he was the favored, he was still favored, and more greatly blessed son. He was the son of his old age. His father loved him more than the rest, just like he loved Joseph more than them. That didn't matter anymore. Judah said, I will be surety for him. That's a change of heart. That's a change of mind. That's repentance. And if they, it would, it, it, so it shows that they would not abandon, abandon him as they abandoned Joseph 20 years ago. I look at chapter 44 and verse 16 through the end of the chapter. So now they're standing before Joseph. You know, Joseph, they'd gone down. They stood before Joseph. Joseph filled their sacks. You know, he gave them dinner. You know, he sent five messes to Benjamin, his, 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 his blood brother, fully blood brother, sent five messes to him, messes to him more than the others. And, and then he, they, he fills their sacks and he tells the servant, put my cup in Benjamin's sack. He sends them off. And they think everything is okay. And then he says to the servant, up, go after them and search, beginning at the oldest to the youngest, and, and tell them, whoever is my cup is found, him shall be bound my servant forever. So they did. And they rent their clothes. I mean, they were, they were bewailing it. And they come back, and they stand before Joseph, and Judah says in verse 16, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and all, he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do this, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant, and as for you, get you up in peace under your father. You know, he says, so, so we're your servants. And Joe said, no, no, no. No, the one in whom the cup is found is my servant, and the rest of you get up to your father. And then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Philip. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have an old father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. So he's still the favorite. He admits it, he's still the favorite. And thou didst say unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I might set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou sayest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. It came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And the father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down, for our youngest brother be not with us. Uh, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face, except your youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, you know that my wife bare me two sons. The one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. 
Now therefore, when I am come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, he shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants, notice he doesn't blame Joseph for this. He says, thy servants shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. He doesn't blame Joseph. He blames themselves. He says, we will bring down our father in sorrow to the grave. After all, for thy servant, I became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, if I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of thy lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brother. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. You know, this is a dramatic change for Judah. He offers to lay down his life for the sake of Benjamin. This is a dramatic change from 20 years before when he didn't care about Joseph, he didn't care about Benjamin, he didn't care about his father. That was 20 years earlier. All he cared about was himself. And now he distinguishes himself as one willing to be a substitutionary sacrifice out of love for his father and his brethren. He says, how shall I go up? Verse 34. You know, Judah was the one who suggested selling Joseph 20 years earlier. And now he offers to lay down his life for, again, the favored brother. If you notice in verse 20 again, we have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, a little one. His brother is dead. And he alone is left his mother, and his father loveth him. And that's the same wording that was used about Joseph in chapter 27 or 37. He loved Joseph more than all his brethren. And he loves Benjamin more than the others too. Of Judah's speech, H.C. Leopold wrote this, quote, This is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man. For depth of feeling and sincerity of purpose, it stands unexcelled, unquote. Barnhouse called it, quote, the most moving address in all the word of God. It gives evidence of a repentant heart in the life of Judah. He was willing to sacrifice his own life for the one his father loved. He was willing. He had a change of mind about his envy for his favored brothers. He's no longer envious. You know, we should not be envious. We're all favored by God. God so loved the world. We shouldn't be envious of the wicked. In fact, we should be willing to give our lives. He that saveth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake, the same shall find it. And so, what we see here is a repentance. This is the remedy for envy, is to repent. Change your mind. After all, God loves the world. 
He makes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. And so this is, again, this is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us in giving his life for our sin. You know, he died in our place as our substitute to pay our sin debt. Are we willing to lay down our lives for others? To repent, you know, so often we're so worried about preserving ourselves that we're afraid to obey God, to do as he commands us, to witness to others. Are we willing to lay down our lives for others, to repent of our self-preservation that others may hear and know the truth? See, the remedy is repent. Are you envious tonight? Are you a jealousy in your heart? If so, repent. Repent. And love as the Lord loved. And love as Judah loved his brethren and became surety for him. Let's pray.